you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 16. The text this morning is 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 23. So far we've seen some significant characters like Samuel and Saul in 1 Samuel. And this morning in chapter 16 we are introduced to David. 1 Samuel 16, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and then came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab. And made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden and bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David to Saul, to David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul said to Jesse, 
saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, David took his lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning and 100% in need of your Spirit to help me. Lord, I pray that you, you would enlighten eyes to this Word which shines light on your character, on your sovereignty, on your provision. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would strengthen our faith. Lord, that we would see the glory of your plan in saving us. God, I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Provision for people is absolutely necessary for any sort of stability. If we know provision is there for us, we can relax in knowing our next meal is going to be on a table, for example. Often we might take this for granted. Many people in the world don't take this for granted. For us, provision in the form of food might be, I won't be able to relax until I just, until we figure out which restaurant we're going to go to. Because we can find comfort in knowing what's coming. You know, you, you smell the dinner cooking in the next room and things are okay. Well, provision can become much more intense if we really don't know how we're going to live. For example, if you've ever lost your job or been in a position where you don't know how you're going to make your payments anymore, your stress level, your anxiety inside begins to rise as the future is unseen. And you don't know how the bills are going to be paid. The text we're going to look at today is all about provision. And as I was thinking, what would be a good intro to helping us think about how God provides? The story that instantly came to mind is the story of of Abraham and Isaac. This story that, of all the stories in the Old Testament that kind of grabs your heart where God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And you have this picture of, of Abraham gathering what you need for the sacrifice. Genesis 22.6 Here's the scene. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering 
and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac understood what it took to offer up a burnt offering. He understood that they didn't have all the supplies. Can you imagine what's going on in Abraham's heart? And Abraham said, God will provide for Himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And you know the story, right? As Abraham's going to slay his son, lo and behold, God stops his hand. And we read this in verse 13 of Genesis 22. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. There's, there's one name Abraham could give this mountain. The Lord will provide. This is a fact. The Lord will provide for His people. But we, like Samuel, in the midst of this crazy world and the circumstances around us, struggle to believe that the Lord will provide for us. The reason why I say provision is the theme of this chapter is because of something that's a little difficult to see in the English translation of the Bible. There's a Hebrew root called Ra. It's a root of a word. It can be a noun, a participle, uh, a verb. It can take different forms, but it's the same root and it occurs 11 times in this chapter. I just want to point it out to you in several places so you get the idea. Look at uh, verse 1 where, you, where we see it says towards the bottom of that verse, Fill your horn with oil. Go, I will send you Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided. That word provided has this root, raw. And then if you go down to verse 6, when they came, he looked. It's the same root. So provision and he looked. And then in verse 7, do not look on His appearance. 
the word appearance has this same root. And then again in, in verse 7, for the Lord sees. That word sees has the same root. Not as man sees. Man looks. Here's the word again. And at the, end, at the very end, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then if you go all the way down to verse 12, speaking of David, now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Same root. And so all throughout this text, this same word continues to come up used in different ways. And the first way we get it is the Lord has provided. The Lord has provided in Jesse a king. The Lord sees in that family a king. And so this is the theme of this chapter. And so the point one in your notes, look for God to provide for you in all circumstances. So you can live the opposite way. You can doubt provision. But I'm asking you, look for God to provide in all circumstances. Look at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? If you remember, Samuel has already been sorrowing over Saul in, in, back in chapter 15, the chapter before this. We read in verse 23 and 24 this. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, this is Samuel speaking to Saul, he has rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And then we're told that Samuel wept all night. He was disturbed all night over the fact that God has called him to anoint Saul as king. And now God says, I've rejected him. I'm choosing a neighbor of his to be king. Samuel has a personal relationship with Saul. His whole ministry seems to be defined by the fact that he's anointed the first king in Israel and it looks like his ministry is failure. It looks like this plan for Israel to have a king has failed. But the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? In a sense, he's saying, who's king? I'm king. You think everything's a mess. And hope for Israel is gone. But then the Lord says, Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, 
for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. First of all, who's Jesse from this obscure little town, Bethlehem? Well, it's interesting. Jesse is from an unlikely line. Jesse's great, 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 great grandpa is Judah. And the reason why Jesse exists is because Judah picked up what he thought was a prostitute and was really his daughter-in-law and slept with her. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son named Perez. And from Perez, we read in Ruth uh, chapter 4, verse 18 through 22, we get this genealogy. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nahashon. Nahashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz, who married Ruth. What an unlikely story that is. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. So from this unlikely line, the Lord has provided, the Lord is seen among the sons of Jesse, a king. Things may look bleak, but God says, lift your head up, Samuel. Have you forgotten who is in control? Have you forgotten the story of Abraham and what he named the mountain? The Lord will provide. And so then we see, look at verse 2, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. You want me to go anoint a son of Jesse? That's, that's, that's death to me. Samuel's not giving up his, I mean, Saul's not giving up the kingship. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Right now, word I'm sure has gotten out in Israel that Samuel and Saul are at odds. If Samuel's coming, the people are wondering, uh-oh, here comes judgment. Here's where we're going to get it. But Samuel says, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So they cleaned up the ritual cleaning they need to respect the holiness of God for this sacrifice. And we see God 
beginning to provide in even the most difficult circumstances. Second thing I want us to see here is to look for God to provide for you in unexpected ways. We think we can look ahead and figure out what God is doing. If you've lived very long, you've realized we're not very good at it. We're not very good at predicting why God is doing what He is doing. Look at verse 6. When they came, this is Jesse's sons, he looked, and here's that word, raw, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So up to this point, who is the most godly man in Israel as far as we can tell? We might say Jonathan. That'd be a good one to put forth. Most people would probably put Samuel. Here's one the Lord has raised up, the prophet, who always speaks the Word of the Lord. And so the most godly man, the most trustworthy man, is looking at the sons and says, surely I know. I know God's going to tell me who the king is, but surely I know that Eliab is going to be the one whom the Lord chooses. So he has this intuitive hunch. But verse 7 says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance. Here's that word again or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for the Lord sees, there, here's the word again, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Essentially saying, what man sees does not matter. Man looks at the outward appearance, Even godly people do this. Even godly churches, when they're candidating new pastors to come in, can be taken by the looks of a pastor or how smooth he is or how well it looks like he can present the church to the community and fail to look and see if he's a man of prayer a man who can weep, a man who fears God. Godly people tend to even look at the outward appearance. But the Lord doesn't do this. The Lord looks at the heart. It reminds me of Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For, you know, you might say, well, th- well, that's true. You're God. Our thoughts are different. Your thoughts are going to be better. But a godly man and God, at least they're probably quite a bit closer. 
Don't you think? But in Isaiah 55, 9, it says, For as high as the heavens are, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, how high is that? The heavens is space, the universe, the stars. So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How confident ought we to be that we know what the Lord's will is? How sure are you that you know what God has for your family the very next step? Do you need to pray? Do you need to seek the Lord in little circumstances and big circumstances? Well, if His ways are as high as the heavens are from the earth, then we need to hear from God. We need to know what His will is because people don't do very good just looking at it and say, oh, I, oh, I see what God's doing here. It didn't work for Samuel. The Lord looks at the heart. You know, think of going and buying a used car. You walk onto the car lot and anyone in their right mind has a little bit of apprehension. I mean, I worked for a used car dealer and I took the black spray paint under a rusty car and spray painted the bottom of cars. And you come and you look and the body might look pretty good. The rust might be covered up. But the anxiety you feel is you don't know if there's that hairline crack in the head of the engine. You might not be able to see what only the best mechanic could see and they can't even see. You see, the Lord is the only one that can look at man and see right down into his heart. Why does the Lord look at the heart? Because that's where a man's thinking, his love, his affections, his thoughts, his actions come out of his heart. This is the real person. This is what really matters. But it's tough for us to see past outward appearance. You know, this statement is reminding us of Saul who is taller than everyone else. Right? The people. He's our king. This The one hiding in the baggage that stands up. He's good looking. He's tall. He looks like a king. Well, Samuel's making the same mistake. We might not expect him to. But even after this, the same thing happens. Uh, what, what's to come? We find out that Absalom was handsome, had this beautiful hair. Surely he's going to be the one that is going to be king next. And after him, what about Adonijah? 1 Kings 1, verses 5 and 6. Now Adonijah, the son of Agagath, exalted himself saying, I'll be king. 
He was also a very handsome man. And he was born next after Absalom. So the problem before this event, after this event, is how people see other people. Now it's important to notice here, God doesn't oppose good looks. If you've been blessed enough to have good looks, that's a gift from God. God doesn't oppose good looks. It just doesn't matter in regards to who a person really is. Christ Himself, if you remember, there was nothing about His outward beauty that would have drawn you to Him. The most beautiful one there ever was, you would not have known it by looking from the outside. We know for sure that He doesn't oppose good looks because in a few verses, we're going to see that David was handsome and had good looks. But Jesus taught this principle. John 7.24 Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Understand what matters. Sometimes God needs to step in and save us from those that look like saviors. He needs to show us who He really wants in His position of leadership. His positions of leadership. Look at verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither is the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither is the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? You know, Samuel knows the Lord doesn't make mistakes. There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. So what does this mean? Is this just a farmer being practical? Saying, we can't get him and leave the sheep out there. Or is he saying, he's the youngest and he doesn't matter. That's why he's a shepherd keeping the sheep. But that's what he says. Behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. A.K.A. nobody's eating until you get him. Go get him right now. We will not do this sacrifice. We will not have this meal until this youngest one with the sheep comes. Now just remember that. Because the one God wants was caring for sheep when He called him. In fact, verse 12 says, He sent and He sent and brought him in. One commentator said, He came, sheep smell and all. This is the stuff songs are made of. Psalm 78.70 A song 
says, and David his servant, or he sent for David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. So the shepherd boy comes in, and here's what we read about him. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. God, expect God to provide in unexpected ways. Isn't this just how the Lord would work? Isn't just how this is how we would expect God to provide for His people in a way that no one could comprehend? Pick the one no one else would pick. Choose the lowly over the older brother. Take the shepherd boy over Eliam. Yahweh chooses the most unlikely people to do His will and how frequently He goes against human logic. He flips it on its head. And the, and the thing we realize is our God is not enslaved to the conventions of men. Our God can do it however He wants. You know how practical of lesson there is to learn here? In light of this, tell me what circumstance ought to have you losing hope in God. Is there ever a circumstance when you're to be so worried and so anxious and so sure that God has blinked and screwed up and somehow failed to be king and sovereign over all the events of the world? It is so easy to question God, though time after time after time, the Lord provides for His people. Isaiah 53, this is what it says of Christ. This choosing of David is screaming out. Pointing towards the one God chooses in Isaiah 53. For He grew up before Him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him. He wasn't even good looking like David. Had no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised, rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised. We esteemed Him not. When this Christ came to walk on the earth, people said, He's one of us. Isn't this Joseph's son? Others complained. You know, He came eating and drinking. He has too much fun. Others objected. He's not from the right place. He's from Nazareth. But what was the clincher for people? You mean to tell us the Messiah is going to suffer a pitiful, disgraceful death on a Roman cross? And so, as all mankind looks at Jesus and says, surely this is not the plan of God, God says, here's what I think of man's judgment. 
It means nothing. This is the one whom I have chosen. This is the way I have chosen to do it. And God continues to work through your whole Bible in unexpected ways. The apostles are not the greatest of men, but they're fishermen and they're tax collectors and they're insurrectionists. They're people that you would never pick as leaders. God chooses women who they wouldn't believe their testimony in that day like they would a man's testimony to see Christ risen from the grave, the first people to see Christ. God does things different than the way we would do things. So if you can't see it, I just say, hang on, because it looks like you're in a position for God to work. If you don't see how things are lining up, praise God. Because God doesn't work the way you think He ought to work. He works His way. And so there's comfort in the absolute midst of circumstances where the world says, how can you have peace now when it's like this? And then in verse 13 and 14, we get this hinge. So first and second Samuel is one document. We split it into two books, but it comes together as one document. The big hinge comes in these next two verses. Look at verse 13. And this is point three in your notes. Look at God's provisions for you to suffer. Look at verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Samuel, this isn't a big crowd. Not everyone knows David's the chosen one right now. A few people do. He gets anointed. Oil gets poured on his head. The Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. And you might think, well, if I'm chosen, picture being David, hurrah! Now I got the Spirit of the Lord upon me. Now, if I thought things were going to go good for me before, how much better now that He has chosen me and He has given me His Spirit. But what do we know? From here to the end of 1 Samuel, David is on the run. Here we see God equipping His King to endure incredible amounts of suffering. Incredible opposition. No sooner does the Spirit touch David and he's catapulted into endless trouble. Envy, anger, plots by Saul. He'll be hunted. He'll be betrayed. He'll be trapped. He'll be hiding in caves. He'll be living in exile. I wonder if you were living in exile and you were being chased, if you would start thinking, I wonder if I'm the Lord's chosen. 
where did I make the wrong turn back here? Because there's no way the Lord would choose me to end up in this type of situation. But what we see is as soon as the Spirit of God comes on David, he's thrust into the fire. God chooses and then God equips the chosen to suffer. This is the way it is for Christians. This is the way it has always been for Christians. Let me just throw a few verses at you. Kind of rapid fire. Just listen to the weight of the New Testament. Romans 8, starting in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Now think of it. I'm preaching to you that the Lord God will always provide. And Paul's saying, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, people that don't have clothes, people that don't have food. What are you talking about? The Lord does not always provide. That'd be a fair question. But verse 37 says, Verse 36 says, For it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now listen, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. It doesn't say no. For from all these things, God takes us out of them will be more than conquerors in all these things. If you're starving to death one day for the sake of Christ, Christ has not failed to provide for you. You will be a conqueror even in the most worst death you could imagine. The Lord Jesus will provide through Him for you for all eternity. John 15.19 Jesus said, Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I chose you, that's why you get hate. John 16.33 I said these things to you, that in Me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. No! Read your Bible. If the Spirit of the Lord has come upon you and you've become a Christian, don't be surprised if trials come your way. 1 John 3.13 Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Luke 
tells us in Acts 14.22 regarding Paul's ministry, Paul and Barnabas' ministry. He says, they were strengthening the souls of the disciple, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Never look at your circumstances and automatically say, because I'm suffering, I'm outside of God's will for my life. Through many trials, troubles, and tribulations will we enter the kingdom. This is why the prosperity gospel is such a joke. Come to Jesus and you'll become rich and you'll be healthy. And if you're not healthy and you're not rich, you don't have enough faith. Not reading the Bible I'm reading. Not listening to Christ words, not reading Romans 8 where it says you'll be children of God if you suffer with Him. You'll know you are children of God. In fact, in 2 Samuel 4.9, David says, as the Lord lives who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, David's had a wild ride up to chapter 4 in 2 Samuel. But what he's saying is, the Lord is provided. He has been there for me. He hasn't given, when he was chosen, he wasn't given an easy lot. And so, look at God's provisions for you to go through difficult times. And the crazy thing is, is through those, you will have the sweetest fellowship. And your worst times, that you could honestly say, these are the worst times, at the same exact time, you can say, this is the best time of my life. Where Christ is my hope. Where I look to Him. Both are true. Last point. Look at the beauty of God's ironic plan to provide salvation for you. I mean, I, the more I learn about the Bible, the more I am in absolute shock in how ironic and how beautiful and how, you know, people tell me this is written by, inspired by men. Yeah. Right. No man would do it the way God does it. It goes against human logic. Now, if you look under verse 4, I real quickly just want to point this out to you. Several times up to this point in 1 Samuel, there's been chiastic structure, literary structure of the text. And I haven't told you when that happens, but it's a way God in His sovereignty chose the Hebrew people to write down narrative, and they even do it in such a way where they highlight the main point. And so we would never read this and see it, but this is normal in Hebrew literature. In these next verses to the end of the chapter, here's the themes that form this structure. Look at, look at one. Departure of Yahweh's Spirit. Verse 14. Proposal for therapy. Saul's authorization. 
David's nomination. And then, right here at the point of the arrow, you get the main point of this narrative. You have Saul's call for David. Here's why I say this is amazing. The first half of this chapter, God says, that's who I choose to be king over Saul. The second half of this chapter, the enemy, supposed enemy, chooses David to come and be his servant and to serve him. And I just say, that's amazing. How God can use the very one who would hate this to happen, Paul of his own will calls David to come play music for him. And so then at the bottom part of this, so it goes reverse order after the main point. David's arrival compares to David's nomination. Saul's favor compares to Saul's authorization. Experience of therapy, proposal for therapy. Departure of the evil spirit, departure of Yahweh's spirit. And so it makes it easy for the preacher because it's like, well, here's what I emphasize. What we're supposed to be amazed at is Saul is choosing David. And God's plan, this is God screaming out, you think it's out of control and you can't have a clue how I'm working for you. Now we're pretty much out of time, so let's just read this fast and I'll say quick conclusion. Look at verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit of the Lord tormented him. Verses 13 and 14 couldn't be more opposite. Spirit comes on David. Evil spirit from the Lord comes on Saul. God is even sovereign over evil spirits. I mean, we see that in Job. And, and they even bid to do His work. And uh, verse 15, And Saul's servant said to him, Now behold, a harmful spirit of God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And the harmful spirit from our, and when the harmful spirit of the Lord is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide, here's this word again, for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I've seen, here's this word again, a son of Jesse who is the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence. The Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David your son who is with the sheep. It's the first time we see Saul speaking David's name and it says, David, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. This one who is chosen takes care of sheep. And then we see Jesse send with David gifts um, in verse 20. Saul sent Jesse in, in verse 22. And Saul sent Jesse saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. Whenever the harmful spirit of God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it in his hands, so Saul was refreshed 
and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Couple things, really quick here. It's interesting. The chosen one of God even comes to the enemy and makes his life more peaceful. Jesus says, You're the salt and you're the light to this world. Even though the world may hate us, we make this world better. Saul's life was better because David was there playing music for him. But the main thing I want to point out here is what all this story is pointing to. God can work when things seem impossibly bad. Here's the biggest impossible situation you're in. God doesn't look at outward appearance. He sees your heart. That's a problem. God of the universe sees through what you can fool other people with and He knows your heart. But God provides in unexpected ways. He can send His Son, born of a virgin, who isn't good looking, to go die on a cross and through the power of that death and that resurrection, that when you trust in Him, He can give you a new birth. He can put a new heart within you. He can give you the Holy Spirit. He can equip you to fight sin. He can send a shepherd of sheep. And that same shepherd of sheep that takes care of the lambs can be the lamb who dies for your sins. And we can just say, amazing. The stone... Okay, you got builders. They're going to build a house. They want square stones. The builders look at this stone and say, this stone stinks. Throw it away. And the psalmist prophesies the stone the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. The very stone that the whole house is built off of. Men reject Jesus. God chooses Jesus and says, that's how I build my body. And we just say, praise God. You provide. Father, thank You so much. We don't even come close to exhausting the beauty and the amazing ways You provide for us. There's so much more we could look into even in this chapter. And yet we know that David is just a picture of the King that's promised to come from Him who will be greater than Him. His kingdom will rule forever. We know that's Christ. Help us to be people who trust in You and have confidence in Your provision. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.